Well, good morning. I'm excited for the season. I'm excited to have a, a Christmas uh, message and a Christmas service. I love that we get, you know, usually you get two or three of those in the year, and uh, it's always great to reflect on uh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2, and Donovan is going to honor us by reading verses 1 through 17. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the, the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means last among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they, they went on their way, and the, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to stop him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Thank you, Donovan. You guys, let's pray to start this thing off. Father, we're here to worship you. Ask that you would come with your grace and with your power, with your might and with your tenderness you might make yourself known to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, preach to our hearts and give us ears to understand and eyes to see. So we just present ourselves to you, God, and trust that you will uh, do what you do in, in loving us and presenting us truth. It's in your name. Amen. Today I want to contrast the different responses that we get in this Christmas story. So it's a story that we're pretty familiar with, the, the magi or the wise men coming to 
find this Messiah, Christ, this baby born. And you have two very, very different responses to this news. The, the response of Herod and the response of the wise men or the magi. So first we need to think through what news they're responding to. Verse 2 says that the king of the Jews was, was coming. Verse 4, the Christ was to be born. Verse 6, the ruler and a shepherd. So we get king, we get ruler, we get shepherd, we get the Christ. So if you remember, we all have a good idea of what a king is. It's someone who leads. It's someone whose job is to protect and to uh, enforce rules to uh, take care of their kingdom. Uh, the again is, is the Messiah. means savior. One who come to save us from something. Rescuer. Shepherd is this beautiful picture of a, a protector, one to tend, to care for. And so this news that a king, the Christ, the Savior, the ruler, the shepherd was coming. And Herod hears this, and in verse 2 it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star from the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So Herod being the elect king hears that another king is born, and his response is one of uh, troubling. He feels that another king is threatening to him, where he likes his position of authority. He likes his—it uh, makes him feel important. He wears the crown. It allows him to uh, probably indulge his selfishness, and there's not a lot other people can do. And so to have another king possibly rise up to Herod— you see this insecurity come out, this competition. There's a danger to his kingdom and what he wants, at least in his eyes. He thought this new king would basically be his demise. He thought for Christ to be risen up, for a new king to be risen up, he would lose. There's a lot of things that Herod didn't know and that Herod couldn't see. The wise men, on the other hand, they came seeking Jesus, saying that we may worship him. We know later in the story they bring him gifts. They pay homage to a king. They bow down before him. And so you have one individual that is deeply threatened by the coming of a Messiah, of a king, and others who are elated and consider this truly good news for them. And when we think about what to have a savior, what would it mean for someone to love us so much to come and rescue us, to protect us, to care for us? Face value, that seems very good. But yet I think a lot of us, like Herod, when that's offered to us, there's a tendency for me to hold on to my own kingdom. Somehow I don't always see that this is going to be my good if I let go. And I think that's what Herod couldn't see couldn't hear God saying, yes, I'm a king. I'm rightful king over all kings, but I love you, and I came not to condemn, but to offer salvation. I came to give you a hope and a peace and a joy, but Herod couldn't see that. He couldn't see that this was going to turn out to his good. Uh, my dad, Bill, has, uh, he founded and has run Christian Life Ministries, a counseling center for he did for 32, 33 years, something like that. And a couple years ago, uh, I took over as CEO. And for him, at first, there's a transfer of ownership. There's a transfer of power. There's a transfer of possession. 
He's not here so we can say anything we want about him right now. <laughs> but, but, but the reality is for, for him to step down from that position, he still works there full time. He still ministers there. And it really turned out pretty well for him in terms of now he doesn't have to do a lot of the things that he didn't want to do, but he felt the responsibility to. Now he gets to only function in his gifting instead of all the other things that, that he was kind of required to do. So he gets to do what he likes to do. He, he gets to do what he's good at. And he probably gets more time off. That's why he's not here. And so a result of him stepping down in one sense really was for his good and for his benefit. And for he's a very, very humble man. And, and because of that, the transition has gone well for me, has gone well for our staff, and has gone well for him. But he had to let something go. And so here we sit with an example in the text of Herod, and he wasn't willing to let his kingdom go because he had no vision and no idea and no ears to hear that this would actually turn out for his good. And I wonder whether it be a choice and a crossroads for you of salvation to offer up your kingdom to God, or even if you are a Christian, where salvation is intact, but every moment of every day I have the choice whether I'm going to step aside and offer up lordship and kingship of my life. And so I don't know if you are one who perhaps the thought raises up insecurity in you like it did Herod. The results of insecurity, the results of holding on to your own kingdom, we get a little taste of here. Matthew 2 verse 3, it says, Herod was deeply troubled. Something internal could not be at rest. Peace forsook him because he wanted to hang on to his crown. 2.16, he became enraged and killed all children. So for you, for me, are we the type that are so strong that we don't need God, that we don't need a savior, that we don't need a rescuing, that we don't need a king? We're smart enough, we're strong enough, we have enough resources, we got it figured out. And if that's you, I honestly hope you wake up one day unable to move, full of weakness and fear. Not to get back at you, but to bring you to a brokenness and a repentance that leads to life. Part of it is, if, if that's where I'm at, if that's what I'm feeling, if that's where you're at, in a sense, go and be well, because I promise it'll catch you sometime. I promise it'll run out. But a lot of people don't necessarily have that stance in that position and bow their chest at God. But a lot of us are angry at God. A lot of us don't the idea of offering up our lordship to him because of circumstances in our life that he didn't spare us from or that he seemed to cause. And if you're in that boat and there's a lot of anger at God, one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've gone through. But I want to ask you to please consider, is it possible that God can still be loving and good and sovereign and have those bad, difficult, horrific situations happen to you and those you love? Consider the possibility of the two coexisting. I believe they can. And I don't want to talk you into it today, 
but consider the possibility that in your wrestling with that, perhaps you get rid of your anger. And when your anger goes away, perhaps you are able to release your kingdom to one who wants to invade it, to love you, to rescue you, to save you, to protect you, and to care for you. Look at the results on the other hand of the wise men or handing over your kingdom. Matthew 2.10 says, They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Reminds me of Psalm 16. It says, Father, in your presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures for all time. In order for me to be willing something so cherished, so personal over, I need to know who I'm handing it over to. And I need to know what his intentions are with it. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Who is he? A chapter before, Matthew 1.23, it says Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hebrews 1.3 says, Christ is the radiance of the glory of and the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So make no mistake, in all the Gospels, this is the declaration. Jesus Christ is God. The Son in the Trinity. What did he come to do? Matthew 1.21 says, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I get a picture of this. Well, we read, we read in the story when Herod was troubled and when he was threatened and in his insecurity and in his fear, he responds to this competition and when he realizes he cannot kill Jesus, the king, the baby, enraged, it says, he goes and he makes an edict and says, let's kill all babies two and under. And I think about what would happen if the government came through these doors and took all of our two and unders, marched into the nursery, and took our kids? And they had the power to do so with the intent of killing them. Think of how that would affect you for the rest of your life. Think of the fight that would ensue at this church. There's no way that we would sit idle and allow that to happen. And we don't get a lot of that story in Scripture. We get there as wailing and weeping like never before when they slaughtered those babies. But think of what would take place in your heart if someone was trying to take your babies. And this is the picture that I get of the Father. This is the picture that I get when Christ is sitting on his throne in heaven and because of our choice of rebellion and because of the deception of the enemy that we are destined for wrath and slaughter and destruction and trouble and hopelessness you get this great picture of this father enraged listen to Psalm 18 David says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. For his temple he heard my voice, and my cry reached his ears. 
Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed, the heavens came down. Thick darkness under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew and he came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Lord Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. Verse 19 says, He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delights in me. Can you hear it and can you see the picture of God taking off his crown, removing his royal robes, and busting open the gates of heaven to invade earth? That's Christmas. To come and save you and I from the destruction that in our deception that we chose. A king who fights his own battles. A king who strips for war. Who puts on his greaves and hikes up his loincloth to come save you. To come get you. God always gets what he goes after. God always wins. Jesus is called the son of David. Perhaps he loved that title because he loved David's heart. A warrior's heart. 3,000 years ago, David squared off against the enemies of his people and Yahweh in the Valley of Elah. A thousand years later, the greater son of David stood alone against death hell and the great dragon on a hill called Golgotha. He saw our need and he did what a warrior does. He slew the dragon that desired to enslave you and I. He fuss at the cost of his own blood. Is this not the definition of a true warrior? This king who says, you need to step down, Nick, and you need to allow me on the throne. There's times I hesitate with that in daily life. Perhaps you hesitate like that with that in big pictures of life. And we need to remember the heart behind this. Remember the one who wants to take our kingdom took our death. I want you to see the warrior heart of God that would not lose his loved ones. The passion of the lion coming. But as we know in Christmas, that heart of a father defending his children was there. He came as a baby. The inapproachable God who sustains all things, who if you look upon him, you die came as the most approachable thing that I can think of. A tiny baby that none of us feel threatened by, that all of us get enlightened by. Babies are approachable. And the heart of God to rescue you and I knew that he had to come not as the lion this go-round, but as the lamb 
to be sacrificed for you and sacrificed for me. That's Christmas. I think I'd be mistaken to not acknowledge the reality that one day God will come back as the lion. One day he will come back to right all wrongs. One day he will finish his rescue mission. So our question is, will we be like Herod and keep our kingdom? Because if you you keep your death. For eternity, 2 Peter 3, 7 says, And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire there for the day of judgment and when ungodly people will be destroyed. Matthew 13, 41, 42. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and all will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 30. Into outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 46. Into eternal punishment. That's when the lion comes again. Not only is that the future if I choose to keep my kingdom, but I spend my whole life like here trying to defend myself. My entire life with internal turmoil and anger. And I promise you, if you are okay with your stance before God and, and competing with him, and life seems to be going okay, that's fine for now. But I promise you, in that pressure of having to hold up your own kingdom, having to please everyone else, having to justify yourself and defend yourself, you're hurting people. Like Herod, when he didn't know what else to do, he killed all the babies. One way or another, when I hold on to my kingdom, I hurt people. And so do you. If you let Christ take your kingdom, he takes your death. Romans 5, 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Matthew 33. This is right after that verse that talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth earlier. But the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Herod holding on to his kingdom got trouble in this life. He hurt a lot of people, and then he died. Presumably unto judgment. The magi or the wise men recognize the heart of God this rescue plan that Christmas that the coming of the Messiah was for their benefit and for their good but it required an offering and as a result we get eternal life we get peace we don't have to defend ourselves anymore we have hope for all time in good circumstances and in bad we have pleasures forevermore that never run out Death and hell and self cannot keep us. 
The other thing that we get in our security is we get to forget ourselves to love others. In our story, the Magi saw a star, and that star they followed, and it led them to Christ. It led them to the good news. It was one of the things that God used to declare, to usher, to help the rescue plan, the Savior, God himself. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the Christ was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In our position of security, when I give up my kingdom, I have an opportunity to the role of that star. This Christmas and every day of the year, I have an opportunity for people to see me and be led to Christ. I have an opportunity for people to look at my life and in the way that I express myself times and in bad, they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When you see the star above your tree when you go home, or on a clear South Dakota Black Hills night when you see the stars shining and there's snow on the ground, recognize and remember and hear the heart of God whisper to you, I've used stars all the time and now I want to use you to usher and lead people to the Savior that they too might have hope that Christmas might be a celebration something that they observe but something that they are a part of that the invasion of God on earth would be good news 2,000 years ago and the invasion of Christ to earth whenever it may come again would be great news Keep your kingdom and you keep your death. Let Christ take your kingdom and he takes your death and he gives you his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing up. Thank you for becoming approachable, knowable. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you that you have the power and the might that even in your death, you're victorious. That even in your suffering, you bring us to victory. I pray this Christmas season, God, that we would continue to offer up our kingdom to you. That we might experience life to the fullest. That our hearts would we rejoice with gladness. And in receiving your love, we might position ourselves to be that star to lead others to that life, to lead others to that hope, to lead others to Christ. Emmanuel. Amen.